Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Jacqueline Cooper. Hello. Hello. Today, we're talking about books about music or musicians, one of the prompts in the Books and Bites bingo reading challenge. And this is another prompt where your choices could be either fiction or nonfiction titles. Do you have thoughts about fiction versus nonfiction with music and musicians? I went the nonfiction route this time to mm-hmm. read about one of my favorite musicians. But I did, I was considering a few fiction books. One of mm-hmm. them was a Grady Hendrix title about a death metal band. <laughs> <laughs> that seems fitting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I like to read biographies about musicians and I'm always interested in their their lives and, you know, what brought them to this to the fame, because it's really a hard way to make a living. I mean, mm-hmm. it, especially now. Yeah, but I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how they get like maybe one cent for every download or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they used to get royalties from sales, you know, uh-huh. both CD and tape and record sales. And now those sales are much much more limited and it's mm-hmm. just digital plays and they don't they don't get anything really, really from that. Jeez. I think this guy said he made like maybe $300 for like a famous song that I wish I could think of the artist's name but you know it's like a really well-known song and he only made like $300 mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And and that goes for, you know, songwriters like mm-hmm. They're making even less money because there's less money to go around. And, you know, record companies, forget about record companies actually supporting <laughs> artists, mm-hmm. especially if it's like a new artist or artist that doesn't have a, an audience already built in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, having someone who has been a part of both a music fan and someone who makes music. You know, I've learned a lot about that from him. And it's it's pretty, pretty bleak. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So you got to do it for the love of music. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, unless you're those big names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even like I've been hearing about how... AI is writing music now. So, you know, AI is writing music, then they're using drum beats instead of an actual drummer. And, you know, there's all these ways that music is becoming computerized. And that also, it takes mm-hmm. some of the humanity out yeah. of music. My husband actually had me listen to an electronic, the guy was using like this electronic sound through the mic for his songs. And I, I personally didn't, I didn't care that much for it. I mean, it didn't mm-hmm. really invoke anything in me that made me want to sing along or dance or anything. Right. Yeah. I read a blog post about this recently. Well, it was, it was in open culture and they were talking about Brian Eno. He, he writes a lot of ambient music, talks about that, that it takes, you know, some of those little imperfections out of the process of performing and it just, mm-hmm. yeah, it takes some of the enjoyment and some of the humanness out as well. Yeah. yeah. Do you care for that electronic sound? No. I think it was really big in the what in the 90s. Called? I forget the name of that, the auto-tune. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. auto-tune. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, like, I feel like music, like, like it's for expression, you know, 
for expressing, you know, human emotions. But if you're going to take out the human, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what do you got left? Yeah. And I think that's why, like, going to concerts, going to shows can be such a more powerful experience than sitting at home and listening oh, to yeah. a record as well. Um, I remember it's been probably about 10 years now or more. I went to an Arcade Fire show in St. Louis, but like, I was like, wow, that was like a really cathartic experience. Like, I, I mean, it was super powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the moment, well, yeah. in concerts, you just get so caught up, yeah. so swept up in the moment and, and everyone's like pushing the, to get closer and closer to the musician <laughs> and <laughs> in these big venues. I mean, in, in the smaller venues, it's a little more laid back and depending on who, depending on the musician, I'm sure. But when, mm-hmm. when you're going to see like John Cougar or something, you know, they're, they're all, everyone's like pressing forward and, mm-hmm. and it's just, I don't know, the music drives them maybe yeah. to do that or mosh pits. You know, mosh pits. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> They mentioned mosh pits in the book, I read. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked to, about nonfiction books. One of the fiction books that I wanted to mention is one that I've talked about before on Books and Bites, and that was Daisy Jones and the Six. And since I talked about it on the podcast, there's been that Netflix series, Daisy Jones and the Six. So if you watch the Netflix series and didn't read the book, of course, the book is better. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely recommend listening to it on audio because it has a full cast experience. And we were talking about the days of old (laughs) with music. This is kind of, you know, it takes place in the 70s. It's loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. So it's kind of the glory days of rock and roll. So it's a good a good chance to see what it what maybe it used to be like a little bit. I also, a book that I haven't read yet, but has been on my list for a while. If you've read Daisy Jones and the Six and are looking for something like it, you might try The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. And it's often listed as a read-alike for Daisy Jones and the Six. It's about an interracial rock duo in the 70s. And it's also written in an oral history format like Daisy Jones and the Six. And then, Michael, you you had a recent read that was featured a lot of music, right? Yeah, there was a, a couple of books. Velvet Was the Night by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. And that featured a lot of covers, Mexican covers of, of American songs and I think, you know, Beatles and Stone songs, Rolling Stone songs as well. And there's a Spotify playlist included with that in the back of the book. And then the read an author prompt we had a couple months ago, that book was heavily influenced by the blues. And he also created like a Spotify radio station based Mm -hmm. on that author is a huge blues fan. And so, and I went down the rabbit hole a little bit with that. And (laughs) it's very fascinating, the history of blues. Yeah, definitely. Always good when you can go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hopefully we have some more good selections for you this month. This month, I read The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music by Dave Grohl. 
Dave is probably my favorite musician. The Foo Fighters Nirvana was a soundtrack to my high school years, and I have followed him ever since. Before drumming for Nirvana or founding the Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl taught himself drums by ear on pillows in his room while listening to punk music. He had a musical awakening when he was first introduced to structured music when his mother started taking him to a jazz club on Sunday afternoons, where he learned that his drumming style was, as he put it, feral and resembled animal from The Muppet Show. He describes everything with that wide-eyed enthusiasm that fans have, especially when he crosses paths with other famous musicians. Like the time when his band Scream was touring and he got the chance to play for Iggy Pop during a record release party. Or the time he was walking down the street in London and Elton John recognized him out of nowhere. There's even the time while on tour in Japan with the Foo Fighters, he was able to convince Huey Lewis to play harmonica for a song during a concert. He imbues a lot of the book with humor, but there's a lot of heartfelt sincerity too, especially after the death of Kurt Cobain. He describes the time after Kurt died and Nirvana broke up, how he was floundering and he was close to giving up music. But out of the blue, he got an invitation to play with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers during an episode of Saturday Night Live, and how afterward he came this close to becoming a heartbreaker himself. And that experience gave him the inspiration he needed to eventually start the Foo Fighters. This book describes the passion that Dave has had for music since he was a kid growing up in the suburbs of D.C. and goes into his punk rock roots. He tells stories that are hilarious and heartfelt from his musical journey, from his days in the screen to the rise and fall of Nirvana and the formation of the Foo Fighters and everything in between. His ability to capture his enthusiasm and the way he's still awestruck whenever his journey crosses paths with icons of music like Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Elton John, Iggy Pop, and Tom Petty is nothing short of infectious. I listened to this audiobook, which is read by Dave himself, and highly recommend it. So I pair this with a Foo Fighters staple they take part in after special occasions, KFC and Champagne. It was born after a Foo Fighters show when Dave immediately tore into a bucket of KFC and being parched from the show, there was nothing else around to drink except for a bottle of champagne. Quote, that night it became an artery-clogging tradition, one that we still indulge to to this day. Laugh all you want. I could go into a detailed culinary lecture about the juxtaposition of taste and mouthfeel that comes with KFC and bubbly. But take it from me, it's expletive delicious. End quote. I have yet to try this pairing, but I'm very much looking forward to it. That does sound really good. I, I can see how that would be a good pairing. Because the salty, crunchy, and the... The effervescence of the champagne. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> A little yeah. high-low action yeah. going on there. <laughs> it's interesting that you talked about his awe for other musicians because that was something I don't want to give away too much before I get to my book. Well, I'll keep you in suspense for a few more seconds since <laughs> I'm up next. But that was something that the artist whose memoir I read, I think, shared. So I think, I guess that's mm-hmm. an important way to stay grounded, maybe. Yeah. He's like, oh my gosh, it's Elton John, Paul McCartney, <laughs> Iggy Pop, yeah. Tom Petty. Like when he's reading the book, like he mm-hmm. really gets that through. Yeah, um, I think that makes it sound maybe a little less like sometimes it can feel like name dropping, yeah, yeah. which is something I mentioned. But yeah, if they're that excited, then it's just like, oh my gosh, yeah. I can't believe this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dave's kind of like just one of us. Yeah, yeah. and sh- for sure, like Nirvana never really expected to uh, yeah. be one of the biggest bands of all time. So Yeah, he goes into that 
sharing this little dinky apartment and how they kind of blew up and and I mean, how do you get from being iconic two iconic bands, a drummer from Nirvana, and then founding the Foo Fighters, who has been going, you know, still going strong today, even though they lost their drummer last year. <laughs> Poor Dave. Well, I guess you have to read that book and find out. Yeah. My book is Don't Tell Anybody the Secrets I Told You by Lucinda Williams. I first started listening to Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Lucinda Williams in 1998 when Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, her fifth album and first major commercial success, came out. At the time, I was a creative writing graduate student at McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana, the city where she was born and one of the many universities where her father, poet Miller Williams, taught when she was a child. There's even a song called Lake Charles on the album. I moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, two years later to teach at Louisiana State University, another school where Miller Williams taught. When Lucinda's song, Bust to Baton Rouge, came out in 2001, it felt a little like she was following me. All of which is to say that Lucinda Williams' music has been profoundly important to me, not only because of her focus on places I know well, but also because of a sound which, especially at the time, felt completely fresh. And then there were her poetic, spare lyrics. In her memoir, Don't Tell Anybody the Secrets I Told You, Williams writes about her journey to becoming an artist, from her chaotic childhood to her eventual success. As mentioned earlier, Williams' father moved his family frequently in search of a stable teaching job. By the time she was 18, she had lived in 12 different places, including New Orleans, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and even Mexico City. Her mother, a pianist, had a mental illness and for much of William's life was in and out of hospitals. Despite these difficulties, Williams credits her parents for instilling in her a passion for music, literature, and social justice. Williams describes her early years of writing songs and learning to play guitar, as well as the many years of working in book and record stores to support herself while she recorded demos and played gigs. She struggled to get signed by record companies, who told her she was either too country or too rock and roll. By the time of her success with Car Wheels, she was in her 40s and considered a late bloomer. She also discusses the challenges she faced as a woman in a male-dominated business, where she was frequently labeled difficult and worse for behaviors her male counterparts were admired for. Williams dishes about what she calls the troubled poet motorcyclist she tended to fall for before her second marriage, some of whom appear in her songs. Though she also talks about other people in the music industry, it never feels like name-dropping. She seems, like Dave Grohl, (laughs) just (laughs) as odd as you or I would be to meet Bob Dylan or end up invited to dinner by Bruce Springsteen. For instance, one of the other guests at the Springsteen dinner was U2's The Edge, and she wonders what to call him. The Edge or just Edge? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) The book reads like Williams is sitting down to talk with you for an interview. I found it to be a fun, quick read, if not quite as finely crafted as her songs. 
If you're a fan of her music, you'll appreciate hearing about her writing process for her most famous songs. And if you've ever aspired to make art, whether music, literature, or something else, you'll find her persistence inspiring. Pair Don't Tell Anybody the Secrets I Told You with Monday's Red Beans from Melissa M. Martin's cookbook, Mosquito Supper Club, Cajun Recipes from a Disappearing Bayou. The ingredients for red beans and rice are a little easier to find here in Kentucky than some of the other recipes in the book, so it's a good one to start with. This version calls for both salt pork and pork shank, but Martin notes that you can substitute a ham hock, smoked sausage, or other pork products, or you can make it a meatless Monday by adding bell pepper and celery or using vegetarian sausage. However you cook it, I recommend using plenty of hot sauce and cayenne pepper. Jacqueline, you may want to skip it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sounds I'm not good. I'm good. <laughs> Cajun food does not agree with me. <laughs> but, uh, I know y'all really like it a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah. The struggle, I think it's interesting that, that we were kind of talking about that earlier, the struggle mm-hmm. and how long it takes to to make it, you know, unless you're already connected in that in that music world to even, you know, to even get very far at all. You have to like really give all your money and all your time and yeah, to the, yeah, and be willing to, you know, she worked years and Health food stores, bookstores, record stores, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's lots of musicians that, uh, actors, Mm -hmm. lots of people in the arts have to do that and may never make it. Mm -hmm. In the book I read, they were talking about how one of the characters asked the other one, like, are you just playing around or are you doing this for real? And he's like, no, I'm just putting all my money and all my time and effort, (laughs) but I'm just playing around. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I also feel like people just think musicians should just do it because they're for free. That's true. Yeah. You hear that like a lot, Mm -hmm. like, oh, they want you to come and sing, but they don't want to pay you anything to do it. So. Yeah, that that is definitely true. And that's that's not fair. No, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> and and just think of like like some of these are like the not the, even the rock and roll but like performers who do choral music and things like that or mm-hmm. I mean, look at the struggle it takes years and years to even get mm-hmm. to make any kind of money. Yeah. So the moral is. <laughs> Don't give up. Don't give up, yes. <laughs> you can make it. I think I think that is a good – I think you can make it, but it's not – it may not be an easy path if you don't have a lot of connections, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you do have to be prepared that mm. you may not be able to earn your living doing what you love, you know? I, I mean, mm. as – I'm a poet. <laughs> poet. <laughs> there are no poets. <laughs> you know, they would just make their living off of their books of poetry. You know, even even mm-hmm. poets like Ada Limon, who is an amazing poet and primarily earns her money off of speaking engagements and teaching mm-hmm. and things like that. So, right, a lot of traveling too. Like you know, even the the big people like Taylor Swift and. Elton John, they do concerts. They have to go, they have right. to travel all around the world 
to you know to to get their music to promote their music to get yeah, fans. That can be easy, especially with family. Mm-hmm. True. I mean, you're constantly on tour, like Dave Matthews being like. I don't know. I don't think he's ever off tour. He's got a he's got a <laughs> summer tour, a spring tour, a fall tour. That's Every true. year he's been doing this since the eighties. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the life for Yeah, some people just so many. You gotta love it. You gotta love what you do. For this month's podcast, I chose the young adult novel Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist by David Lefiathan and Rachel Cohn. Although JCPL doesn't own a physical copy of the book, you can read or listen to the book through the Libby app. I chose to listen to the audiobook since, for me, listening helps me determine the pitch and rhythm of music and poetry. Referring to this book as a playlist is spot on. The characters bond through their shared love of musicians and genres of music. The novel takes us through a catalog of music from rock and roll to mainstream punk. As the characters navigate New York's indie rock scene, the novel explores many aspects of music through the lens of a romance. The authors write alternating chapters for each character's point of view. Cohen's voicing Nora's point of view and Leviathan doing the same for Nick. The use of this literary device gives the reader a unique insight into what each character thinks in any given situation. For example, when Nick is suffering from a recent breakup, he attempts to avoid his ex, Triss. He asks Nora, quote, I know this is going to sound strange, but would you mind being my girlfriend for the next five minutes? End quote. The reader notes he just doesn't want to face his ex and her replacement boyfriend. Because we know Nora's point of view, we learn that Nora doesn't want to see Triss any more than Nick. In fact, Triss is her arch enemy, and she also wants to avoid her. So she accepts his proposal to be his five-minute girlfriend with an answering kiss, hoping the kiss will block Triss's view of her. After the kiss, Nora learns that Nick is the ex-boyfriend that wrote amazing poetry and songs for Triss. Nora remembers hearing the lyrics when she looks into his kind but lost-looking face. The way you're singing in your sleep, the way you look before you leap, the strange illusions that you keep, you don't know, but I'm noticing. And it's on page 27. Although Nora felt she already knew Nick after hearing his poetry and music, she realizes she wants to learn more about the boy who captivated her with his writings. So she offers to be Nick's girlfriend for more than five minutes. This book was very entertaining, funny, and a quick read since it's less than 250 pages. The novel does an amazing job of showing us how much music influences our culture and how so many moments in our lives are embedded in music. The way the characters communicate through music is my favorite aspect of this novel. The author's scene where Nick and Nora dance demonstrates one of the ways music is a form of communication. And when Nick leads Laura on the dance floor, he doesn't need to say anything. The music says everything. I also like the way the characters sing parts of their favorite works when a particular artist is mentioned. For anyone wanting to learn more about talented artists in the indie rock scene, this book is an entertaining way to learn more about various musicians and their band's contribution to different musical genres. I would recommend this book to mature teen or college students due to the strong language and sexual content. For my pairing, I chose a Mai Tai cocktail recipe from Liz on Call. 
This is a refreshing drink. It's a mixture of orange juice, pineapple juice, lime juice, almond syrup, and grenadine, and sparkling water. Last but not least, don't forget the tiny umbrella. <laughs> My ties can also be very deadly because <laughs> they taste so yummy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a mocktail because they're they're underage. <laughs> so, what do you all think about music? And and do you does it when you hear songs? Do you remember special moments? Oh yeah. Well, you know, you'd be driving along in the car and. Song comes on, you're immediately transported back to, you know, middle school, high school, mm-hmm. kid. I mean, you know, and not just to a specific, you know, usually to a specific moment in time. Yeah, I mean, it's very powerful. It really is, and even memories you don't want to remember. You yeah. <laughs> sometimes you remember them <laughs> yeah. when you hear when you hear a song. And they say that you know people with dementia will often remember lyrics from songs that they knew as children. You know, they might not remember other things, but that's how powerful powerful yeah. it is. Like, mm-hmm. they can still remember it, even though they've lost so much of their memory. Yeah. I actually talked to a doctor at UK, and they, they were doing a study on Alzheimer's patients using music and art as well. So they, they said that sometimes doing different things, like doing art in itself or or writing music, you're using different parts of your brain that you might not use all the time, and that helps stimulate your your brain. So listening to different forms of music could probably maybe do that as well. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the books that you put, I think, on the list of books that we post on, on the Books and Bites Bingo page was about, like, neuroscience yeah. and, and how music... I can't remember exactly, but something about how music affects yeah affects people. I, that looked really interesting to me. And just communicating through music. I think that's, for me, that's just, you know, like when you're dancing with someone, you're communicating. And, and you know, back in my high school and college and even early graduate school days, making somebody a mixtape was oh, like, yeah, that was, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the mixtape. That, yeah. When you really like somebody. <laughs> yeah, Nora actually listens to the ex's mixtape, and she feels like she knows him because she heard that. She heard mm-hmm. his music like that he actually wrote, too, not just other people's music. But. Mm-hmm. And you had, yeah. like, your favorite mixtapes that you listened oh, to yeah. all the time because... They got it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I just found a huge bag of CDs that that date back to my high school days of mix tapes. And even if they, you know, I don't even know if they're going to work, but I'm pretty excited to go through them and see. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You want to relive all those days? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we hope you rock on. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. To learn more about Books and Bites Bingo, visit us at jesspublib.org forward slash books hyphen bites. Our theme music is The Breakers from the album In Close Quarters with the Enemy by Scott Whidden. 
You can learn more about Scott and his music at his website, adoreforadesk.com.